Bill Conlogue grew up on a farm over the Moosic Mountains in Wayne County here, as he tells us, and he remembers that April meant fixing fence, which meant walking the line between us and others. Some afternoons it'd be warm, a spring heat, other days cool breezes blew. In the woods, where the tractor couldn't go, we'd carry posts and wire, hammers and staples. Echoes of the sledgehammer driving posts and nail hammers striking staples mingled with the buzz of flies and the caw of crows. All around us, in every direction, lay silent, overgrown farms, evidence of a worn, thin land. We'd come upon places where whole sections were down, barbed wire twisted, the fence posts snapped. Sometimes we'd find a tree across the line, the wires taut beneath. We knew that snowdrifts snap posts and stretch wire, so we accepted that fences would fail, but we curse and complain when we found that a hunter or snowmobiler had cut his way through. Inevitably, the fence that crossed the creek would be ripped away and tossed ashore, broken weeks before by blocks of ice riding spring floods. Sometimes the wires would be buried in the creek bed, other times they'd be lost swept somewhere downstream. Go the other side, my father said, pointing with a nail hammer, and throw those damn wires back. I looked at the water sweeping by. He simply nodded upstream at the spot where the cows went over. We put up two strands across the water, using no posts, just wire to mark the line, a ten-minute job. That should hold for a while, he said, turning his attention to the wire and post ahead. The creek swept along, cool, undisturbed. A dictionary tells me that to fix means to make firm or stable, to give a permanent or final form to. At best, a half-truth. To fix fence is to know that the fence is never permanent, stable, or final, no matter how finished it looks after you've fixed it. Stitching time and place, a fence only patches up past and present, here and there. Here and there, those words become the title for Bill Conlog's study, here and there, reading Pennsylvania's working landscapes. Dr. Conlog is an English professor at Marywood University in Scranton, and he naturally reflects on a poem by Robert Frost. In Mending Wall, Robert Frost, he says, explores what it means to fix fence. The poem depicts two farmers engaged in an annual ritual. They write the wall, marking the line between them. Since their last meeting, the speaker has worked alone to repair human damage. Hunters, rovers who want to know better, have torn apart whole sections, leaving not one stone on a stone. This deliberate destruction, which makes for a lot of work, believe me. Robert Frost sets beside nature's knock at the wall. Ice has tumbled the upper boulders, creating gaps in the line that even two can pass abreast. The neighbors walk the line to fix, if only for a moment, the inevitable, the natural decay of all things. But in rebuilding the wall, they also renew their relationship, which, like all human relationships, requires constant attention. Words to live by, human relationships require constant attention. 
as we work to build community. We are invited to kick up our heels as we hear stories of this place and its past, what others who grew up on farms here remember and cherish, how the melancholy and bittersweet sense of country songs and singers would help them endure the rigors of the hard farming life and the joy they had in making friends through the radio with folks far, far away in a fantastic city like Nashville. Rev Theater, a professional company from Philadelphia, returns to Scranton a couple of times a year to partner with United Neighborhood Centers of Northeast PA to tell stories with or draw out stories from the community of young and old who are part of the UNC experience. And community is the key word. Rudy Caparazzo and Rosie Hay stopped in at the WVIA studios to fill us in, and we learn it's not their first rodeo. I've told you before that I have these deep and abiding roots, and so there's that kind of fondness I have in terms of my past growing up with my grandmother who lived in Oliphant. But also, there's a profound sense of community that I'm sorry to say you really don't get anywhere else. And that doesn't necessarily have to do with the size of a town or a city. It just has to do with the people that live in it. And that is so warm and welcoming. We have so much support here. We've made so many friends that have transcended the whole professional context of us being here. They've become personal friends who are very important to us in our lives. And the wonderful thing for us is to know that you work with a community organization that is so mission-driven to enhance the lives of young and old in yes. its yes. associations. This, this program we're doing right now happens to be a multi-generational program, so it's all-encompassing and all-embracing in that way. Yeah, UNC is a fantastic agency that that without that agency, I don't know what a lot of people in this community would be doing yeah. to to just get by. I mean, we provide something that is, I guess, soul nourishing, but that agency is actually helping people keep body and soul together. And finding them housing, working with, I believe, refugees. I mean, just so many helping tentacles. Helping many of them with food in a daily subsistence kind of way. And we know that you have made friends there and sadly lost some friends who have oh, yeah. been coming so long that you've gotten to know people yeah. who have passed on. Mm -hmm. And we have people in this program now, speaking of such things, and near brushes. There's a wonderful guy who's performed a lot locally. He happens to be 84. And back at the end of May, he was in a horrific car accident. He was going up a hill very fast and didn't see that there was a parked car in the middle of the road. He's since discovered that it was an abandoned vehicle, but he didn't know that at the time, obviously, and smacked head on into it. There was a large truck behind him that had the foresight and the quick-mindedness to veer out of that lane because had he smashed into Gus, Gus would have been made into a sandwich. Gus got out of the car, thought he was fine, there was no blood, but he was in rough shape. He was in rough shape. So the point is that when I called Gus to just talk about it from the perspective of Gus, just his personal safety and well-being, one of the first things he said to me was, don't take me out of the show, Rudy. It didn't cross my mind. I wasn't even calling to talk about show business. So he's, he's in it. You, he will be there on Saturday as part, of, as part of the proceedings. And it's not just people like Gus, Rudy. Young people 
who are able, they come back and work the shows. Oh yeah, we've had kids who've been involved now for over a decade with us. But I, I said to Gus, you know, sir, I worry about all of you. I've become very fond of all of you. The other nice thing is because you know the community so well, you're able to have concepts that you know will not only delight them, but draw them out in ways that they may not even know. Yeah, I mean, the challenge is to find stuff that is both entertaining and, for lack of a better word, seductive, because part of show business involves that lure of getting people into a communal space together to sit and spend their time for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, and and invest in watching something. But the challenge is to find something that is entertaining, but also in the case of the work we do at UNC that has a socially conscious perspective and and, and mission in it. And this time, we, we have brought back a form of the little old rodeo show. It is brand new and improved. There's new costumes, there's new performers in the rev part of it, and certainly in the UNC first first act, so-called part of it. But also, the program is built around, the first act anyway, the UNC portion of it, is built around the recollections of mm, seniors of a certain age and above. Some of them are quite, quite old. Recollecting about growing up on on farms. It's their suburban recollections of what that was like, and they're fascinating stories. I mean, these farms in the way that they knew them no longer exist because it's a very, very different way of life, certainly in terms of approaching farming these days. And I found it so educating, and I think the public will too. So we have eight multi-generational performers delivering in a narrative content the recollections of these interviewed seniors. That's the social part. You did the interviews? I did the interviews. I mean, the hard thing was editing it down because it could have been five hours long based on people's storytelling and recollections. These people just wanted to talk about the old days in that way. And so much of that part of what they remembered in terms of enjoyment and entertainment was the radio, which involved all of these old tunes, such as Hank Williams, Patsy Cline, Tammy Wynette, Buck Owens, Little Jimmy Dickens. And they'd speak about these people as if they were personal friends of theirs. Especially the comedians like Minnie Pearl and the Duca Paduca, who I'd never actually even heard of. A guy named Stringbean, who had a fascinating personal history as well as a professional one. So I, I was enlightened, and I think the audience is going to find it not only a rip-roaring, rootin' tootin', thigh-slapping, hand-clapping good time, but they're going to learn things too. It's heritage. And I think we both felt, now Rudy did all of the heavy lifting on this, but I think we both felt that these stories would be lost. It's an oral history. Now, that sounds a little dry, but it's not. It's about the community and letting these memories have a voice again because they'll, they'll go. These, these lovely seniors are not going to be around forever. And once they've gone, there'll be no one to talk about having brothers and sisters that they all shared the same bath water you know, for instance, and the person who was talking about it said they wanted to go first, not just because the water was clean. She was the one that wanted to catch the Duke of Paducah, I believe. She wanted to go first because, as Rosie said, not only was the bathwater obviously clean and warm, then it would be after the sixth sibling, but because she was not going to miss a moment of not only the Grand Ole Opry, but Something. Louisiana Hayride and National Barn Dance. Radio shows, Erica. It all comes back to radio. 
we know you have an ear, Rosie, for language. When they are telling these stories, do they fall into a different cadence or a different rhythm? Uh, No. No, Rudy was there actually most of the time because we were doing at the same time a Shakespeare session and workshops in Scranton High School. So when Rudy was out meeting with all of these people, he heard them. What I get from the the written part is it's so authentic because it's their voices and cadences. There's lots of, they don't say the last, it's not nothing, it's nothing. And that's how they spoke. And Rudy transcribed well, every I, moment I tried of to write it all fancy schmancy like I'm some Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, which I am not. I'm not a writer at all. But the point is, it was just really transcription. But I tried to write it dialectically. So the first time we met with all the performers, the local performers who are going to be providing the narrative content, many of them were confused because they thought it was either Southern dialect or one of them said, I do not have an Appalachian accent. I have no idea what's required from this. And I said, that is not my slash our intention. I'm trying to write it the way people spoke to me in a very Scranton, NEPA-based way. Flat A's, no ending consonants. I mean, it's a very American thing overall. It's not just completely indigenous. It's also, as you well know, a very Midwestern thing. But I try to keep, as Rosie says, to use the word again, as authentic as it could be to how people talk. And I think it's beautiful. I mean, I think it's so evocative and powerful. It is. And do you think in telling their stories to you first, Rudy, and then getting ready to share them with a larger audience, they have some self-affirmation that my stories do matter? Yeah, that's such a good question because I I interviewed a baker's dozen. There were 13 people who were willing to be a part of it. And and at least half of them, Erica, said, no one's ever asked me about this stuff before. No one has ever taken an interest. No one has ever really thought about that that contribution to American life. (laughs) It's fundamental. I mean, these farmers not only self-sustained in this way, but they provided the area with sustenance. It's the only word I can think of. And that's pretty profound and pretty impacting. And we hope that they didn't fade away because the support systems weren't there in terms of the funding from the government. In the case of the demise, and that's the only way I can think of describing it, in the case of the dissolution of these farms, it really was just a perfect storm. And literally, in some cases, the weather was such a major element. They talked about those twin hurricanes, Connie and Diane. And before that, they talked about the great flood of of St. Patrick's Day in 1936. So all of these things had long-lasting impact and were very traumatic events in terms of everyone's everyone's lives and their ability to, to provide. And industrialization... And indeed, lack of government support and a profound, I think, lack of understanding of how important. But there is a resurgence. There's a real resurgence and not necessarily locally. There's some locally, but in in a nationwide way or even globally, people are understanding how important small farms and little farmers are and what they can contribute. And that's very heartening. Does anyone in the show talk about animals and their relationships to the animals? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love the stories about the animals. They're great. One of them talks very specifically about how 
in a very obvious way. It is a bad idea to become attached because you never know the friend you have today is going to be the dinner you may have tomorrow night. And that was tough negotiating for them in terms of that because many of them have a an openness and a willingness to become connected to animals and a fondness for animals. And it's a hard, hard way of life. It's a, it's a hard, it, it, it's a hard existence, not only for the animals, but for the human beings that become connected to them. And the songs that you described and the singers that you described, somehow there's often a sense of loss or longing or yearning. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, it is a great country music and especially country music of, of that era. And I'm not I'm not giving, you know, the stuff from today short shrift. But the point is, back then, those songs, that art form was a great and very unique American. I know it has roots in many, many other things, but it's an amalgam of things that have made a very unique form of music. And yeah, it's about heartache and loss and longing. And um, it, for some of these people, it is nostalgic. But when some of them were relating these stories, they were actually present talking about it as if... It was their lives now, and not in a weird or mystical way, but just because it was so formative and so important to them. And they all remember all of this music. I mean, many of them, to be honest, have no, no affinity or fondness for today's country music, but that's just the way it is. How did you pair that portion of the show then with the new rodeo? Uh, it's just more of the music, Erica. I mean, it's it's me and two wonderful performers and a fourth performer who does genuine, bona fide rope and or bullwhip cracking tricks. And that's a great, great fun element. So, you know, we just really had a discussion about, because some of these people were hardcore, some of the UNC people, and they had songs that they were committed to singing and come hell or high water, they were going to sing them and nobody else was going to. So that's how we divvied up a lot of that in terms of material. I want to sing this. Okay. Yep, done. In the hopper. No question. And they aren't afraid of singing. No. You know, and, no. and there's one, one gentleman, he's, he happens to be 87 and he has COPD. And he was not completely convinced at a certain point in the process that he was going to be able because he too was found in his home very, very ill and needed to have 15 pounds of fluid removed from his body. But he too said, some idiot said the show must go on, so it must, right? So he's in it too. Yeah. They love the creative outlet. And especially, I think most of them were part of Young at Heart, the musical group at UNC, the, the wonderful Carleen Howard was the musical director and the creative force behind it. And now, now that she's no longer with us, they don't have that. No, they don't have a leader in that way. They don't have the direction. And, you know, she was such a force of nature. And her spirit informs everything that we're doing. But they loved that young at heart and they would travel around and sing. And it's it's creative for them and, and, and it's being part of a group. This is the shameless plug part of it, which is obviously part of why we're here. They all deserve everyone in the community to turn up and turn out and, and not only cheer them on, but really sit there and experience it and enjoy the heck out of it. Is it left to them whether they wear their cowboy boots and cowboy hats? I would love that. There are opportunities in the show for people to, should they choose to and are willing to, square dance. So, yeehaw, Erica. No, I would love it. We would love it if everybody came dressed up. Yes, that would be wonderful. And they are all going to be present and accounted for and willing to 
represent. I mean, another woman had a terrible fall. And I, I said, we're dropping like flies here, kids. We got to keep it going. And they are all willing to continue on the course. And I say to them, in complete truth and with a full heart, I am going to take away this experience of working with all of you because I'm a professional actor. We have a professional company. That's a significant part, obviously, of who we are and what we do and how we do it. But your stories and your willingness to not be thrown by that rodeo pony are going to serve as inspiration in terms of how I talk to other professional performers from here on in. Do you put up a sawhorse for set? Do you have anything like that? Oh, we've, got, we've got a local farm that, bless their hearts, they're going to donate some hay bales for us. So it, it, it can look a, a bit in that way, like the, like the set of Louisiana Hayride. When, when, it, when that became televised, not radio. None of them talked about television. It was all about radio. Isn't that great? That shows how intimate it was because you said it's as if they felt they knew those performers. They were so yes. connected yes, to these, yes. these performers. One woman talked about the day that Patsy Cline flew into the side of the mountain and how she remembers that as much as she remembered the death of Kennedy. I mean, where she was, that whole like, where were you kind of thing. It was. It's very much a part of her, her, her so memory. So vivid. And the cumulative effect of all that excitement and energy and maybe nostalgia, it's larger than the sum of its parts. And I would think, as you suggest, if we come to join you, it's going to be powerful because of all those elements. Yes, yes we'll learn the stories. Yes, we'll hear the songs. In a very, very positive way, the antithesis of what the question you asked about the demise of local farms in terms of this is the opposite of that. It is, a, it is a perfect storm or an absolute cocktail of completely joyful elements that, yeah. that will coalesce and will, lift, and will lift you. They will. They will lift spirits. They will. And that's the whole objective. I mean, along with sharing the history and the, and the narrative knowledge in a very local history-based way, which, as Rosie said earlier, is vital. And there's a couple of, of the eight of the narrative performers who, who are young. The requirement is not to do anything in an old agey kind of way but it's very interesting having them tell these stories that are some of them are 80 plus years old the stories themselves so it's very interesting hearing them told with with young voices teenagers 15 16 15 16 two of them are 18 so it's a real cross-section you said multi-generational i said it and i meant it because yeah. it's important because there's too much of that kind of division. We need to open things up to become more inclusive and a more of a more shared experience in a generationally based way. What new song are you singing this time around? I'm singing Okie from Muskogee, which I haven't sung before. It's a originally back in the day Willie Nelson. It's a very patriotic song in that regard. And also a Conway Twitty Loretta Lynn duet called You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly. <laughs> But it's very fun. It's done in such a delightful way. And it's a very fun song. Yeah, and it's all done with love. So that's what this is. And there's a lot of there's a is. lot of great songs that continue to be a part of it. Your Cheatin' Heart, uh, Hey Good Lookin', uh, Harper Valley PTA. I mean, there are so many. We could do another five years of rodeo shows because of all those songs. Yeah, just like editing, as I also referred to earlier, just like editing the stories from the seniors that contributed, it's always also very hard to pick the songs, as Rosie said. Yeah. It's just a wealth 
a storehouse. It's overwhelming. A lot of good music. We always turn to you, Rosie, for the wrap-up. Yes, so the performance is 6 p.m. United Neighborhood Centers, 1004 Jackson Street on the west side. The doors will open at 5.30. It is free. Did we hear that? I I will say it again. Maybe Erica wants to say it a third time. Free. 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 Because the program is being brought to the community as a gift through the tremendous generosity and very significant support of the Gelb Foundation, Scranton Area Community Foundation, the Puffin Foundation, and Wegmans. They are all supporting us, and we couldn't do it without that support. But I think the social aspect of it, which, again, I have to give kudos to Rudy, who thought of the let's tell stories, their stories. And I think everyone has understood the value of that. Well, we come back, as I started out this interview, talking about the community vis-a-vis a very germane and on-point on question, as per usual. But the project... The process, the performance, the production needed to all have community very largely Mm -hmm. glowing at the epicenter, epicentral heart of it. And that's the first words out of your mouth about what's so important about this place, this community. I remember that from growing up here and it continues to be a part of a part of what I remember and a part of what I experience when I'm here in a very immediate present way. It's not about the past. It's about the present and it certainly is about the future. But it's not to say that it isn't a rip-roaring, rootin' tootin' yee-haw, partner. It's good a time. good time. It's mm. a great time. Are you the reason I'm riding around on recap tires? Rudy Caparazzo and Rosie Hay, co-artistic directors of Rev Theatre Company, speaking with us about a very special performance this weekend. It is Rev's Lil Ol' Rodeo Show, an ensemble theater production created with multi-generational cast members who are part of United Neighborhood Centers. This is a free performance of Lil Ol' Rodeo Show at United Neighborhood Centers Oppenheim Center for the Arts, 1004 Jackson Street in Scranton. Saturday, August 26th at 6 p.m. The doors will open at 5.30. For more information on the web, uncnepa.org, uncnepa.org. That's Rev's Lil Ol' Rodeo Show this Saturday, August 26th at 6 p.m. at United Neighborhood Center's Oppenheim Center, 1004 Jackson Street, west side of Scranton. Doors opening at 5.30. For more information about this free performance, uncnepa.org.